If you have your Bibles, open those to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our series, Walking Through the Beatitudes. I'm going to read those over us, because each and every week I want to be reminded that these work together, that God is giving us a message from these Beatitudes, letting us know that these are a ladder that we can't climb on our own. And thankfully, uh, we can see that someone has climbed that for us. But it also uh, simultaneously calls us to a certain type of living, uh, to a certain type of action, to a certain type of reaction to difficult people, to a certain type of interaction with one another. So again, Matthew chapter 5, picking up with me in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven, it's theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and they persecute you falsely and say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our emphasis this week is in verse chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a unique conversation for us to have a, a chat this morning about purity. When I read the word purity, the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh-oh, uh-oh, this could be a problem. I begin to think through uh, my life. I begin to think through the points and places where anger rears its um, ugly head and it can be caps lock ugly. I, I begin to think through things that I think that I wish I didn't think. Things that I do that I wish I did not do. When I read the word purity, it can be a tad bit complicated. And if you're anything like me, you would just affirm me by shaking your head or fire me right now. Anybody else feel that right there? Okay, purity is a deal. Okay, if we're going to talk about what it means to be pure in heart, that I will see God. There are times for me, based on my own action, my own anger, my own frustration... My own lack of blamelessness on my part that I don't necessarily feel as if I am pure. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, where this question is asked by the psalmist David. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And who will stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false who is not sworn deceitfully. Again, that doesn't help me if I'm misreading this. Because when I begin to think about who may ascend the hill of the Lord, my brain goes to, that ain't me. That's terrible grammar. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? 
there are some helpful things for us to remember from this passage. I'm going to give you the four uh, points, if you will, if you're a note taker, that hopefully they're helpful. It's a breakdown of the text that we're going to deal with today, looking at this idea holistically. The first thing that we see is purity is not perfection. At least not your perfection, and we'll dip into that. Purity is not presentation. Purity, it, it involves pursuit. And finally, purity leads to presence. I'll keep those on the board and read those to you. That's not a board, that's a TV. Uh, I'll read those to you yet again. Purity is not perfection. Purity is not presentation. Purity involves pursuit. And purity leads to presence. Purity is not perfection. At least not mine and at least not yours on our own. So if you thought that that's what it meant for you to have a relationship with God, if you thought that in some way, shape, or form, you seeing God depended upon your purity, I want you to rest easy. That's not the case. I have a pastor friend in San Antonio, and he has four kids, just like I have four kids, but his four kids are older than my four kids. So we were having continual conversations years ago as both of us traveled and spoke. We would be in various places, and we were eating in terrible cafeterias and wondering how much more pasta they could, they could possibly feed a human being. And as we're having our conversations, I would always think about him and his children, about the relationship that he had with them. And in my head, something was taking place at their house that I did not know if it would ever take place at mine. At that point, I just had one child, and he had three little girls. And in my head, they would sit down together for hours each and every day, all dressed in white. The husband in white, the wife in white, the children sitting at their feet in white listening to every word that he said. In my head, they had notebooks where they're writing down everything that he talked about. And two of them couldn't even read. In my head, I'm thinking purity means that I've got to ascend to this place, that I've got everything figured out, I've got everything fixed, that my life is absolutely perfect. I talked to him on the phone one day, and he, he just laughed when I explained this to him. That's not how it is in my house at all. It's not my perfection. For me, I always feel this weird need to be washed, to be cleaned. I begin to think through the things that we've talked through, that I need to continually run myself through this machine cycle, this, uh, the deep rinse. Though I believe that Jesus washed me, I look at my own life and I begin to think about the, the struggles that I have. And I think if you're anything like me, you think about the struggles that you have and you may wonder from time to time, does this God really love me? Purity is not your perfection. I was at a restaurant recently, gone into the Olive Garden. We sat down at the table. It was inadvertent because we walked in, we saw some friends, they invited us to eat with them. We had this impromptu dinner with friends. And maybe you've had an impromptu or maybe even a planned dinner with friends where you notice that the, the waiter never comes to you with your bill. And you're wondering, hey, why did someone... Why can't, can you not bring me my bill? Maybe you don't think, why don't they bring me my bill? Maybe you're like, let's roll. But uh, why don't they bring me the bill? This needs to be paid. You might have a friend in your life who's like a ninja. They get up, they walk through the restaurant. They tell you that they're going to the restroom. They pay your bill uh, mystically. Uh, or maybe, just maybe, you're like we were the other night. Where's the bill? They've not brought us the bill. And the waiter lets you know someone has paid your bill in full. They've taken care of it. Think through that, though. What if I'm sitting there at the dinner table with my olive garden in front of me? 
waiting for my bill to be paid, expecting that I should be the one to pay it. But I find out that someone has paid it already. Scotty, our server, walks up to me. And he says to me, Sir, this person, he paid for all of your food. He paid for your salad. He paid for your breadsticks. He paid for your tea. He paid for your minestrone. He paid for your tour of Italy. Some of you are like, I'm never taking this guy to eat anywhere. He paid for everything. But I need you to pay it too. That doesn't make any sense. Hear me, friends. When we, as those who follow Jesus, who claim that the death and resurrection of Jesus is an absolute for us, and we believe in the finished work of Jesus, I want you to know the idea of you being able to pay that bill, it's, that's never going to be what works. He has paid a bill in full for you. Your purity is not based in your perfection. You can never pay that bill. But you do have a perfection that is based in his purity. Everything is always tied to Jesus. Everything is always connected to him. And if he doesn't pay the bill, the bill is not paid. Purity is completely tied to Jesus because he is our Perfection. Think through what the whole of the text teaches us in Philippians chapter 3. Maybe you've been reading through because you lean Paul in and you think Paul's fantastic. We all should think Paul's fantastic. He says this and it may resonate with your very soul. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. But I'm making every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. What if the inverse of my dinner situation is me taking for granted that that had been taken care of? Me rolling my eyes at the idea that someone would ever do that for me. Paul says when we realize that Christ, his perfection, has taken hold of us, we are to pursue him as a result. We'll get there momentarily. Or maybe you read through Romans chapter, chapter 7. And you feel like what Paul presents to us there about your very own struggles, your very own sufferings, your very own life. And you look at the things that you do and you keep wrestling and wondering why you keep doing them. And you would say, I don't understand why I'm doing this because I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And this is all just really confusing. But then he takes us to the place in chapter 8 where he says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The passage always taking us to the idea that when we are in Jesus, everything has been paid in full. Purity also is not presentation. Maybe you think that's what it is. Maybe you believe that your uh, right standing before God is completely tied to and wrapped up in how you behave in front of other people. And it doesn't matter at all what you look like on the inside. On the outside, things seem to matter. As long as it looks like your family has the I's dotted and the T's crossed, everything is taken care of. Reminds us of what Jesus tells us when he talks to the Pharisees. In chapter 23 of Matthew, the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do not do whatever they tell you. Now, we will remember together today that the scriptures are not written uh, necessarily to us just to receive the gospel of Matthew and read it. This was a letter written for us to eventually read from God timeless truth to a people in time. However, there was a moment in time where Jesus stood in front of people and he preached the Sermon on the Mount. This is not something that we just read as, uh, as, as two-dimensional. This is a three-dimensional event that we are getting to interact with two-dimensionally. 
Jesus preaches these sermons and there are people who happen to be standing there hearing Jesus say these very things. Hearing these words come out of the mouth of Jesus. And the people who were standing there were a mixed bag because you you had, as we chatted about, you had some poor shepherds and you had some poor fishermen and you just had some poor, poor people. They're all hearing the words of Jesus. But on the outskirts, you've got other people who happen to be there. You've got the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, the people that everyone would attune their lives to. We sing about tuning our hearts. The Pharisees wanted you to believe that you should tune your life to them. They kept giving commands and demands over and over Jesus says the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. That's a big deal. And then he undoes it. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they teach. They don't practice what they preach. Paraphrase. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries. They lengthen their tassels. These boxes they would carry. They had the biggest boxes. Just really big boxes. The biggest of big boxes. Really big deal. They had the largest graduation tassels on their robes. So you would see them walk where they walked. You would hear them talk. They were loud, so you would hear them be loud. They would, they would make sure they uttered things so that they were presented. They were on display at all times. If they had spotlights in the Bible days, the Pharisees would have walked around with a spotlight on them. They loved the place of honor at banquets. That's the very best seat. The, the front seat in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace. And they loved, they just loved to be called rabbi by people. Jesus says, do what they're saying because they are saying some things that are based in Scripture. And when it's based in Scripture, do what they say based from Scripture. But don't do what they do because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Following after Jesus is about more than just mere presentation. That's why we mentioned Philippians chapter 2 last week. And we begin to talk about the idea of what it means for us to be children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which we shine as lights in the world doing everything without complaining and arguing, us being God's people, presenting God because of what he's done inwardly and not simply what's taking place on the outside of us. 25 of chapter 7, or 23 rather, goes on to say this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. It's this undoing, it's a continuation of this introduction in the Beatitudes where Jesus lets you know, blessed is this, but woe. And that's not like a Joey woe, either Joey, blossom or friends, Joey. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Imagine you walk into someone's house, they hand you the cleanest glass that you could ever see, but on the inside of it's mud and dirt. On the inside of it is filth. That's what they're giving to the people, and that's what they are giving to God. He says, don't present like that. Think about what's inside. Blind Pharisee, Jesus says. Clean the inside of the cup, you big dummy. Also paraphrase. So the outside of it also may become clean. Inward, out. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. 
You were like whitewashed tombs. At that point in history, they would mark the tombs in a very unique way because of the uncleanliness tied to death for the Jewish people. You weren't to get anywhere near a tomb. So they would take their pressure washer, if they, whatever the biblical version of a pressure washer is, just camel spit over and over. And they would clean the tomb to the point where you could see it from afar. Jesus says to the Pharisees, when people see you, it looks like you're clean. You're from far off. Everything's all together. Which appears beautiful on the outside. But inside, don't forget you're full of bones, dead, and every kind of impurity. Everything looks really good. But that doesn't undo the wicked inside. In the same way, on the outside, you seem to be righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I think as church people, we've grown up in this world where we understand Pharisees differently because we understand the two-dimensional concept of the text and not the fullness of it. Jesus is saying that to these people at this point in time. The Pharisees are not far away. They're standing right there. They love to be seen. They love to be heard. They love for their tassels to flow and their phalanteries to flop around they're right there and I think we read about the Pharisees and we begin to talk about how bad and terrible they were but it's easy to forget the Pharisee in me and if we're being truthful with ourselves we would be honest and say it is easy for you to forget the Pharisee in you to forget your whitewashed presentation, ignoring this, the wickedness that might be inside, the things that need to be dealt with that are going undealt with. Well, Jesus says to that. Well, what is purity? Because that's all bad, and I don't want to talk. Can we talk about the good stuff? Purity, though it's not your perfection... And it's not merely your presentation. Purity involves pursuit. It's pursuing something. Not necessarily something, but someone. Not any someone, but the someone of Jesus. And when we begin to talk about the heart in this passage, the deep joy of God has been given those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. What he's taking us to is the Jewish concept of the whole being, the heart. Not just the thing that thumps in your chest. The heart. The whole person, whole being, whole self. Kierkegaard said this, purity of heart is to will one thing. To pursue after God is to have an undivided heart. That's kind of the deal that we see Jesus uh, illuminating in this passage. When he talks about us having a pure heart, he's saying that his people are to have undivided, undivided hearts. Hearts that pursue after him, chase after him, run after him, focus on him, think on him. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect because you're not perfect. And in this life we have many troubles. I keep hearing that from the Gospel of Matthew. But we pursue knowing that there has to be something more than this. Because if this is all there is, this is horrid. As good as it may be, if all that we have is this life, we are the foolish, the foolishest fools. 
Also not good grammar. Pursuing after Jesus in response to his full-scale pursuit of you. Paul saying that to us. The opposite of a pure heart is an undivided heart. We'll remember what took place at Carmel with Elijah. He stands there. He's the only prophet of Israel. 400 prophets of the, of the other guy. His name was Baal, but that doesn't matter as much. And as he stood there, he looked at the people of Israel and he said this, Hey, why do you just keep wavering and limping back between two opinions? You just drag yourself from one place to the other. Quit limping back and forth. If God is really God, then serve him. If Baal is God, then serve him. Just quit limping. Because you're going nowhere other than from this point to the next. The struggle there in my own life when I begin to see the, the limp. Pursuing after Jesus. We're going somewhere. Undivided. I, I, Jared makes fun of me sometimes. All the time. Lots of the time. It's a unique relationship that we have. He'll walk in and look at my computer and, be, and will ask me questions to the effect of, why are all of these tabs open? Because my mind is here. Undivided. James would say this to us. For those of us who would pursue after God, he says, draw near to God in James 4, 7 and 8. And he'll draw near to you. He's not going to walk away. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. One thing. Go after that one thing. If you've been around Grace for a while, you know in the last year we've, we have had some discipleship groups pop up. And, and whenever we begin to have conversations about what it means to study the Bible as a church, there's, there is always, oh, I would like to do this Bible study by X and that Bible study by Y because X and Y are selling stuff through Lifeway right now. And you can't get them at the box store anymore because they shut down the box store. But you can buy them online. Let's order the stuff. And I believe it is really helpful for us to be people who are studying the Bible based on good Bible teachers that help us. However, I think that the most helpful thing for us to do as the people of God is to be pursuing God through his word. Because he says things to us there. And that doesn't mean that this pastor doesn't help you or that pastor's not great. It just means this. Ultimately, like when we begin to consider who God is, this has to be lifted up above the words of those people. And when we like, physically, and when we begin to talk about the idea of let's be discerning or that be discerning or I'll Google this or I'll look at that, learn to be a per me a personally learning to be a person who is in the Scripture, not allowing what this person or that person says to shape, but letting yes maybe those are helpful things, but letting what Jesus says to me here shape me. We'll put together outlines for sermons. I always put the Bible verses that I use in, in a highlighted yellow. Really, it's this subconscious thing that I started doing because I always want to see the Bible as more important than whatever I happen to be saying to you. And you're probably, yeah, it is, you big dummy. Those booth guys. Keeping in mind what Paul says in Philippians, Philippians 3. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and, and reaching forward to what's ahead. 
I want to pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Purity involves pursuit. So when we begin to look at our own lives, are we a people who are pursuing God? Personally, communally. Are we walking together as the people of God towards Jesus? Sometimes we walk, sometimes we sputter, sometimes we sprint, but we're always moving toward Him. Finally, we see this about purity. Purity leads us to presence. The passage shows you that, actually, this initial verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. One of my favorite texts in all of Scripture is in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, John says this about those of us who are in relationship with God through Jesus. Dear friends, well, he, at first he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That's from the NIV, but I love that word because of how emphatic it is. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us so that we should be called the children of God. God's primary reference to you if you are a believer in Jesus if you have trusted in the perfection of Jesus and not your own, his bill paying and not your own, you're the child of God. He then goes on to say this, that's what we are. For the sake of emphasis, dear friends, we are God's children now. Not on the other side of pearly gates, after we've worked out some deal with St. Peter, because in our head he's sitting there. You are God's children now, right now, in this world, right now. And what you will be has not yet been revealed. But we know this. When he appears, when we are in his presence, we will be like him. You'll be just like him. Because you will see him as he really is. That's on the other side. All these little flakes of impurity here, they'll be gone. You'll be there in his presence. And everyone who has this hope in him here, he goes back to the right now, purifies himself. We're being about the process of seeing our daily lives purified just as he is pure. For us, we have Christ's purity and we are daily dealing with purifying ourselves. That is a verb for me. It is a verb for you. But we will be like him because he is pure, which is... Being coming more like Jesus. And a question that I ask regularly around here, if you've not been, are you more like Jesus now than you were three weeks ago? Because that lets us know we're moving. D.A. Carson, Canadian theologian, eh? Says when we experience God's person in this life, we will experience his full presence in the next. It's weird when we really consider losing someone. I lost a, a, a friend this week. wasn't one of my best friends, but he, he, we talked regularly. He traveled and spoke, and he really did a great job of staying in touch with guys who travel and, and speak. He served as a mentor to numerous pastors, numerous youth pastors, and we didn't agree on a lot. We agreed on Christ crucified and resurrected, and sometimes we would talk about stuff. I'm like, I don't know if that, I don't, I, I'm not sure we align, but what we did align with was the hope that the believer has in Jesus. And there were things that he said to me that have been so impactful for my life, my walk with Jesus. It, I, 
It's that way with numerous other people as well. Phrases that stay with you. Maybe you've lost someone and they would just say stuff and it never left you. My dad died a, a few years ago, 2015. And when my dad passed away, there were phrases that my dad would say that don't leave me. Some of them were really funny. I had a brother who stayed in trouble when he was in his uh, 20s. And my dad would call me regularly and say, baby, because my dad called me baby until his dying day, he called me baby. Don't, don't try that. You know what the good book says, you've got to dig your brother out of the ditch. I don't know where that verse is. I keep looking. I think it's about an ox. Uh, or when my grandmother, who I mean, just was the most... She, she was so good to me. When I would hear her pray, there was a phrase, and I can remember statically where I was when I heard these words come over. Jesus, you are the most precious thing in this world to me. That was a phrase. I, I see moments in time, frozen moments where she would say that. She would say other stuff too. Wade, I, I, that's my friend who passed away. Um, I had a youth pastor call one time and he, he let me know that I'd spent too much time with my family because they went to an event with me. I felt bad about it. And Wade said bro, because he called everybody bro and all of that. He said, never regret spending time with your family. They're more important than anything. All of these phrases are helpful moments frozen in time. They are beneficial. They are helpful. They are funny. They are encouraging. You've got those phrases that are stuck with you. Static phrases that are helpful to you. How much more important is it for us to see that God has given us a timeless word full of timeless truth? And though those phrases, as helpful as they may be, they're frozen and they're static... What God has said to us here in regard to us purifying our hearts and lives, this is living, it's active, it's timeless, it's hope-filled, it's true. Would we see that as God's people, we will see him more and be more like him? The more that his word interacts with us, the more that it changes us, the more that it chips away what needs to be chipped, removes not what needs to be removed, purifying God's purified people. Will we pursue after Jesus? Through his word, as we pray, together as a body of believers. I mean, we can come up with really good programs. But the hope of the world is the body of Christ. Living and breathing in this community as if what we read here has changed our lives. Has changed our, the way we see our world. And not just reading the verses that we like. Reading the verses that are painful to us. Reading the verses that are hard for us. Because they're speaking to us right there would you bow your heads with me this morning
there's a possibility if you're not a follower of Jesus that you're here and it's a bit overwhelming this idea of a ladder you can't climb. Thankfully, you don't have to climb it because Jesus, uh, he, he pulls you to himself. John 6 tells us that. The Father draws us in. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I would love to chat with you about what it means to place your trust in Jesus. His broken body, his shed blood, his empty tomb. And realize that your death can die there and your life can be in him. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, people who know him, who love him, who believe in him, who trust him, who... But there's a possibility that reading the idea of pure in heart, that, that kind of punches you in the face. I pray that you will see that Jesus, you going through the hardships is him making you more like him. Pray that we would be a people of your word, Jesus. That you would shape us. You would make us more like you. That we would love you because you've loved us. Care for you because you've cared for us. That we would look at our world and see it the way that you do. That we would see moments where we can represent and reflect hope. And that we would embrace that. That we would look to see God. To... Father, I pray that we would look to see At the very least, the image of God in our enemies. Because you made them. And people who disagree with us, who dislike us, who, who don't want to have anything to do with our faith. Would we still hold out hope because you made them? God, would you shape us in the way that we treat other believers? Help us to love them the way that you love them. To care the way that you care. To do what you would do. Father, I pray we will be a people who pursue you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. <clears throat> we bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And God, let us be a generation that sees, that seeks your face, O oh God of Jacob. And God,